title of our message this morning is Living Wisely with Your Strong Conscience. Say that after me. Living Wisely with Your Strong Conscience. Again, Living Wisely with Your Strong Conscience. Uh, One of the questions that I have been asking um, about the COVID-19 vaccine is this. Just what can a vaccinated person do after they have received their doses? In other words, once I receive my second dose, uh, can I throw away my mask? (laughs) You know where I'm going with this. And of course, no. No, I I mean, I I looked it up. It's not recommended. Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you should throw away your mask. Just because you're vaccinated doesn't mean you're not a carrier. So, So the message is this. Be wise in the strength of your vaccination. Be wise, live wisely in the strength of your vaccination. When we became Christians, God brought us out of one realm and set us into another realm. We were rescued from the dominion of darkness and we were brought into the kingdom of the beloved son. We have been emancipated from the prince of the power of the air And brought unto the custody and leadership of the Prince of Peace. We've received forgiveness, redemption, adoption. We have been given the seal of the Holy Spirit. That is to say, God has given us a down payment of what will finally be culminated in the new heavens and the new earth. We have experienced water baptism, which signifies our belonging in Christ, and we share a weekly memorial meal, the Lord's Supper, signifying what Christ did for us. Baptism, what Christ did to us. Communion, what Christ did for us. Oh, the resources that we have for life in Christ. Is that not why the Apostle Peter says that we have everything we possibly need from God for a life of godliness in the Lord Jesus Christ, 1 Peter chapter 1. Oh, the resources that we have for, for life in Christ. God the Father will see to it that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it in Christ Jesus. Jesus who calls us. Jesus who sanctifies us. Jesus who has enriched us, confirmed us, and gifted us. This Jesus will sustain us to the end. Amen? So then what are we to do with these resources? What can I do with these resources? Is it okay for me to venture out and go anywhere I want under the assumption of spiritual immunization? So if I've struggled with alcohol addiction, can I just waltz into any bar I want? 
If I'm a spending addict, can I take a trip to Michigan Avenue with a pocket full of freshly printed credit cards? If I'm tethered to technology, can I still buy the latest and greatest smartphone? If I struggle with pornography, can I just have unconstrained internet access? What do you think? What would the Apostle Paul say? Well, our scripture is just about this very issue. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to meet me in 1 Corinthians chapter 10. The New Testament letter. Paul's first letter to the Corinthian church. We're studying 1 Corinthians today, chapter 10, verses 1 through 22. Now, the Corinthians wrote to Paul asking him numerous questions, and Paul responds to this particular question in these verses. And the question is about whether it is proper to consume meat that had been sacrificed to pagan temple idols there in the temple restaurant. They had restaurants in those pagan temples back then. And so basically the Corinthians want to know, is it okay for me to make a reservation at the temple Apollos? That's the question. And some Christians had no qualms about it. Their conscience allowed them to do this. Others, their conscience just was not comfortable with that. And Those whose consciences were strong felt that the way to help those whose consciences were weak, the way to help you is to expose you and build you up and to vaccinate you through exposure. That's really it. But it was having just the opposite effect. It was dividing the church community. And so they wanted to know, Paul, Can we or can't we? And that question was posed in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Well, leave it to a preacher to take three chapters of the Bible to answer the question. I I feel so much better. (laughs) Uh, But it's an important question and it's, you know, it's it's not just a yes or no. It's really not. And this is what we learn as we study through these chapters. I mean, if it were just about the meat, if it were were just about the protein, well, then the answer would be easy. But it's not just about the meat. It's about the importance of community. It's about consideration in relationships. It's not just about your individual wants and desires. It's about how your desires affect the hearts of people that you love. And it's how your desires affect your relationship with the Lord. So in 1 Corinthians chapter 8, the Apostle Paul warns the strong against dining in pagan temples... Because of how it might affect the faith of the weak. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, which is what we'll see, Paul warns the strong against dining in pagan temples because of how it might affect their own faith. 
Paul would say, you may be strong in grace. You may have a strong conscience, but not so fast. Don't abuse that. And don't presume upon it. Redemption is no vaccination from temptation. Okay? And I think that's what we're going to see as we consider 1 Corinthians chapter 10. For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual drink for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them and the rock was Christ." Nevertheless, with most of them, God was not pleased, for they were overthrown in the wilderness. Now, these things took place as examples for us, that we might not desire evil as they did. Do not be idolaters as some of them were, as it is written, the people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. And 23,000 fell in a single day. We must not put Christ to the test as some of them did and were destroyed by serpents. Nor grumble as some of them did and were destroyed by the destroyer. Now, these things happened to them as an example, but they were written down for our instruction on whom the end of the ages has come. Therefore, let anyone who thinks that he stands take heed lest he fall. No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I, I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. The, the cup of blessing that we bless. Is it not a participation in the blood of Christ? The bread that we break. Is it not a participation in the body of Christ? Because there is one bread. We who are many are one. For we all partake of the one bread. Consider the people of Israel. Are not those who eat the sacrifices participants in the altar? What do I imply then? That food offered to idols is anything or that an idol is anything? No. No, I imply that what the pagans sacrifice when they offer. What, I imply that what the pagans sacrifice they offer to demons and not to God. I do not want you to be participants with demons. You cannot drink the cup of the Lord and the cup of demons. You cannot partake of the table of the Lord and the table of demons. Shall we provoke the Lord to jealousy? Are we stronger than he? 
This is God's word. Redemption is no vaccination from temptation. Did you hear that? So then since redemption, big idea, headed your way. Since redemption is no vaccination from temptation, a strong conscience lives wisely for Christ. A strong conscience lives wisely for Christ. Wisely. That's, that's verse 15 where Paul says, I, 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 I speak as to sensible people. Sensible wise. That's that word wise. Prudent. I speak as to sensible people. A strong conscience lives wisely for Christ. Now, what's that look like? What does that look like in real life? What does Paul tell us? What are, what are, what are the best practices for people with strong consciences? And, well, this is what we're going to learn here. All right? Two best practices. Best practice number one, read and learn. Read and learn. Best practice number two, Flee and flourish. Flee and flourish. Read and learn. That's 1 through um, uh, 13. And flee and flourish is 14 to 22. That's how you live wisely for Christ. Let's go to work. Read and learn. Go back to verses 1 and 5. Paul reminds the Corinthians of Israel's exodus from Egypt. So, so there are certain narratives in Scripture that if you can learn those narratives, it will help you understand other portions of the Bible. So the book of Exodus in the Old Testament is a lens through which you can see the rest of Scripture. Themes of Exodus repeat themselves all throughout the Bible. And you can just learn that narrative of the book of Exodus. You can, you can, you can see scripture. You can see yourself. You can interpret life. The book of Exodus is a lens for life. It's a worldview book. So this past week on PBS, I saw a very informative four-hour history uh, called The Black Church the African-American religious experience. And uh, Exodus is a very important book in that series because it's a book by which the black church interprets the Bible. Scripture is about oppressed people written by oppressed people. And so the apostle Paul reminds God's people in Corinth how he through Moses sought emancipation from Pharaoh. Then God, through Moses, liberated his people after 10 cataclysmic plagues on Pharaoh. Each plague was a divine assault against the Egyptian idol. So it was not just supernatural trickery by any means. It was a theological statement about who is the true God of this universe. And then as Israel was emancipated from Egypt, they headed toward the Red Sea. Pharaoh pursued. God, through Moses, parted the waters of the sea. Israel went 
on dry ground and the miracle of the sea became a permanent boundary between slavery in Egypt and freedom for the promised land. God now took custody of his people Israel. And Paul recounts this quickly in five verses. And he uses the word all. Do you see that? It appears five times. All. All knew what happened. All went through the sea. All experienced the cloud of God's presence and protection. All were baptized in Moses. All were sustained by spiritual food and water. Spiritual, uh, think the source. The source of the food and the water was God. All, five times, five times. Nevertheless, verse five. You see it? God was displeased with most of them. How many people made it into the promised land who were in Egypt? Two. 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 Caleb and Joshua. Only two who left Egypt made it into the promised land. Why? Because Israel presumed upon God's gifts. God's provision was met with presumption, which led to temptation and then rebellion and then expulsion. And in verse 7, Paul reminds them about the golden calf which Israel fashioned when Moses was with God. (laughs) Exodus 32, Israel grew impatient and fashioned a golden calf. I mean Their footprints hadn't been covered over on the other side of that Red Sea. And they, and they, and they went back to idolatry. <laughs> and then in verse 8, Paul reminds them of Israel's infidelity with another idol, Baal of Peor. You can read about that in Numbers 25, beginning in verse 1. They offered sacrifices and ate and bowed down to their gods. And approximately 23,000 died. And then in verses 9 and 10, Paul reminds the Corinthians of, of Numbers 21. When once again, Israel grew impatient. Why have you brought us out to die? We're hungry. We're thirsty. And we don't like what you're feeding us. And we don't like you. That's how they said it, the Hebrew. (laughs) And Israel was punished for the sin of grumbling. Now, why all of these reminders? Well, verses 6 and verses 11 tell us. Now, these things happened... For our benefit, they took place as examples for us. They were written down for our instruction. So Paul's trying to say, Corinthian brothers and sisters, God's provisions for you have given you no more immunity from temptation than his provisions for Israel In the desert. And did you notice that Paul says, I don't want you to be unaware, brothers, that our fathers, 
Our fathers. That, that is, that's a very significant phrase. Our fathers because most of these Corinthians are not Hebrew. They're Gentile. But what's Paul doing? He's saying you, you're a part of God's grand story of creation and fall and redemption and restoration. You're a part of God's promise to Abraham in Genesis chapter 12 that through the Hebrew people, all nations will be blessed. That, that the true Israel of God is from every tongue and tribe and nation and language united in Jesus Christ. So what has happened to the Israelites of old is for our instruction. So read and learn. Read and learn that you may not be an evil craver. Verse 6. That we may not desire evil, crave evil, evil craver. Because when we become evil cravers, we sit down to eat and drink. When we become evil cravers, we rise up to play. When we become evil cravers, we trespass the sanctity of sexuality as prescribed in Genesis 2.24. When we become evil cravers, we test the Lord. When we become evil cravers, we grumble. And according to Psalm 106, another chapter that has Exodus themes... Grumbling stems from craving evil, which stems from spiritual amnesia. Psalm 106, 21. They forgot the God who saved them. And Paul reminds the Corinthians to read and learn from Israel's past. Church family, you are wise when you learn from experience. And still wiser when you learn from the experience of others. Paul reminds us that we've been gifted with Scripture to learn from others. We, we, we read the Bible to know that we are not alone. We read the Bible to see ourselves in the lives of the Bible. Can you see yourself when you read Scripture? Can you identify with the characters of Scripture? When you're reading in the daily Bible reading that we're doing together, the Gospel Coalition Daily Bible Reading. And if, you've, if a day has gone by, just get in the next day, all right? But, but so today when you read your daily Bible reading, one of the readings actually was in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. But when you're reading, do you see yourself in that story? Can, 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 can you read the life of Joseph? We just finished the Joseph narrative in that daily Reading, but so when, can you read the life of Joseph in Genesis and learn to persevere faithfully when falsely accused and unjustly treated? If, if God's servant Joseph was falsely accused and unjustly treated in life, what makes you think you won't be if you live for him? Okay? Can, can you read? Ah, oh, but let's not just stop at Joseph because we often, well, I, I'll speak for myself. I often like to go to the heroes and see how I identify with the heroes. Ever so humble servant that I am. But let's, let's, let's look at some of the, huh. well, can you read the lives of Joseph's brothers and picture yourself doing to someone else what the brothers did to Joseph? 
And, and what, about, what about, let's stay with Joseph's brothers. Can you read the lives of Joseph's brothers and learn to believe the forgiveness offered to you from someone of a higher power? Joseph had power over his brother's lives as prime minister of Egypt. Remember in Genesis 50, they, they, they felt anxious about their forgiveness and Joseph assured them, see? Well, one greater than Joseph has offered forgiveness by his own blood for you. You can believe Jesus when he says, you are mine. Can you read the life of Job and learn to trust God even when you don't know why he does what he does? Can you read about Job's friends and learn how not to be judgmental by presuming to know more than the one who is suffering? Can you read about the life of Esther and learn what courage looks like when your life is on the line, you know what the right thing is to do, but you know that may cost you your life. We've read the end of Esther. She didn't read, she didn't read the end of her story. She was living it out. Can you read about the life of Mary and learn what it means to be maligned by village gossip? Sure, the Holy Spirit impregnated you, Mary. Live with that. You see what I'm saying? Well, see, when we read, here is what we'll learn. Specifically to Paul's point in 1 Corinthians 10. If after the God of this universe rescues you and takes you through your Red Sea and supernaturally fights off a world power and then supplies you with meat and bread and water from heaven, what do you think is going to happen if you turn your back on him? What do you think is going to happen if you cheat on him? What do you think is going to happen if you grumble against him? What happened to Israel? Why do you think you're different? You think just because you're in Christ, you can just waltz into the pagan temples of Corinth immune from temptation? Is that not pride? Does not pride go before the fall? What, 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 what areas... In our lives, are we assuming that we have the spiritual strength to withstand an area that we have no business getting into? What idols do we presume to be able to handle, but at the end of the day, will cause catastrophic damage, not just to our lives, but the lives of those in our family? Verse 7. Verse 7. The people sat down to eat and drink, and rose up to play. It's the simplest things, the simplest things that can become idolatrous. Food, and drink, and smartphones, and texting, and TVs. Paul's point is this. Paul's point is this. That none of these things are spiritually neutral. All right? They're not spiritually neutral. Someone wrote, our world has more and more information, but less and less wisdom. More data, less clarity. More stimulation, less synthesis. More distraction, less stillness. More pontificating, less pondering. More opinion, less research. More speaking, less listening. More to look at, less to see. More amusements, less joy. There is more, but we are less, and we all feel it. And what, 
we need a diet high on wisdom and low on folly. And this book is the best meal for wisdom. Amen. Amen. So read and learn. Read and learn. Read and learn. Flee and flourish. Hmm. That's verses 14 and 15. Therefore, my beloved, flee from idolatry. I speak as to sensible people. Judge for yourselves what I say. So there's his answer. (laughs) Cancel your dinner reservations at the temple of Apollo. You may not dine with the devil. If you want meat bad enough, order carry out. That's what he says. That's actually what he says in verses 23 and following. That's later on, not this message. It's not about the meat in and of itself. It's about the space where the meat is consumed. And the Corinthian Christians who dine in pagan temples bring confusion about the integrity of their faith. And Paul wants there to be no confusion And yes, of course, there is going to be a price to pay. You will lose business because you've chosen not to dine in a setting where everybody else is doing it. And you will likely lose friendships and connections and clients that are critical in a culture that values patronage and quid pro quo and uh, commerce relationships. So, so, So then when you are invited to a place that would hurt the ones you love, Paul implies, you know, I just want you to politely and firmly decline. And they will ask, what's the matter with you? And you will answer, I can't do that because that would hurt the one I love. That would hurt the one I love. I can't go there. That would hurt the one I love. I can't drink that. I can't watch that. I can't eat that. I can't attend that. I can't meet there alone with you for that. Why? That would hurt the one I love. That's what you say. That's all you need to say. God's word assures us that the price for wise living will ultimately outweigh what you lose. You may lose a relationship. You may lose a business contract. You may lose a promotion. But you will keep your conscience. And you will keep your faith. And your heart. And you, and you will keep the consciences of your vulnerable brothers and sisters in Christ. And you will keep your training. That's 1 Corinthians 9. Remember? Paul says, I, I run to win the prize. I don't run aimlessly. I run, I'm, I'm a fixed runner. I keep my training. I keep my Olympic level focused on Christ. Living wisely. Living wisely in Christ. Living wisely in Christ is a matter of sacrificing short-term tactical losses for the sake of long-term strategic gains. And that's why Paul said, I beat my body and I make it my slave. Why? Because I want to stay in shape for Christ. I want to stay in shape for Christ. And it's not to get into heaven. I've already been given heaven. 
I've already been admitted to the kingdom due to Christ. I'm a child of God. But what I want now, what I want to desire now, what I want to crave now is to look like, speak like, and live like the person God already says I am in Christ. And that, brothers and sisters, is the word for sanctification. Say that with me on three. One, two, three. Sanctification. It's looking like, speaking like, and living like the person God says I am in Christ. Sanctification. And that requires single-minded devotion to the Lord. If you desire to keep shape at the Lord's table, you cannot double-date the devil. Don't confuse anyone about your allegiances. Just because you can doesn't mean you should. And, and so in verses 19 and 20, Paul says, yes, of course meat is meat. Of course. And of course an idol is nothing but a piece of wood or metal. And there are no other gods. There is only one God. Yet there is a demonic world behind those idols. Idols falsely project the image of God. And God has, the reason why God forbids graven images is because he has already determined who his image bearers are to be. And that is us. Humans. Human life projects God's glory far better than any graven image. And the more we allow man-made idols to reflect God's image, the less we reflect his image ourselves. And our mission in life is to Reflect and bear the image of God. So flee and flourish, Paul says. You've got more to gain by reading and learning and fleeing and flourishing than by staying and eating. You've got more to gain by studying and absorbing than by rising up and playing. You've got more to gain by imitating Christ than by imitating the world. You have more to gain by serving than by demanding. You have more to gain by the foolishness of the gospel than by the wisdom of man. You have more to gain by respecting God's strength than by provoking his jealousy. Paul concludes with verse 22. Are we stronger than he? Do you know who you're dealing with, Paul says? Live wisely. Live wisely. Paul, Paul, Paul is teaching us that there is a way to become skilled at making accurate and sensible judgments about what really matters in life. And the way to do that is to read and learn and flee and flourish. And being strong in God's grace requires that we remain ever more dependent on it. And here's the gospel comfort. When we place our trust in the fidelity of Christ, we place it in his fidelity, not ours. What's verse 4 say? For they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them. And the rock was Christ. So the rabbis interpreted this rock from which Israel had water, the rabbis interpreted it as a rock which accompanied them along the journey so that whenever they got thirsty, that, that was the, it was just, it was a miraculous supernatural provision. And Paul says, Paul says with that understanding, well, the rock was Christ. <laughs> 
Jesus is our rock, and he follows us. He's with us. He's with us. He, he's with you in those difficult conversations. He's, he's with you. He, he meets us in our need, and he even meets us in our rebellion. And every day he meets us. Every day God extends himself to his people in the gospel. Our, our baptism is a picture of what he does to us. The Lord's Supper is a picture of what he does for us. And it, the gospel is the once and for all declaration of free grace that leads us to desire an Olympic level lifestyle. Jesus meets us there. He meets us in the midst of the ordinary he meets us on the level of desire. And in that meeting, he shows us his fidelity. He who promised is faithful. So live wisely in his grace. Amen.